Good morning. Um, <coughs> I've been here now about three years. Actually, it was three years uh, a few weeks ago. And if I've learned anything about St. Paul's and if I've learned anything about you, it's you are very strange people. <laughs> Weird, if you will. I'm mostly kidding. Um, but, but realistically, we are. We're all a little weird. Every single one of us, myself included, we are, um, we're weird. We're different. We all have our own idiosyncrasies. There are things about us that, um, that you know, there's things that if you knew about me, you would think that I was just plain strange. Um, everybody in this world is a little bit different. Everybody's a little weird. There's not really any normal. Um, but I would say to you, Christians are called to be especially weird. Um, I think sometimes television and, and, and our media, they, they get that. And when you see a Christian portrayed on television, they're often pretty strange. And usually in a, in a derogatory sense. I was watching, what's that? Oh, we were watching Parks and Recreation. And they're, they're not called Christians, but there's the, the, the family values people on that show are particularly weird. They're very strange. Um, but there's something about that, right? Because Christians... We are weird. We're a little different, um, but, but not in a way that this derogatory, if you will, but in a way that we should embrace. We're called to be weird, but we're called to be weird for a purpose. And that, that then is the second part of our, our title. We're called to be weird in the sense that we're revolutionary, that our weirdness would somehow change this world for the better. That people would look at us Look at, look at our differences, at our idiosyncrasies, the way we live our lives, the words we speak, the things we do, the thoughts we have, that people would, would see these or understand these, and they would say, they're weird, but I kind of want to be weird like that. There's something about that weirdness. What is it? Well, it starts from Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that this morning but looking ahead, we've got, we've got six weeks planned, starting today, of this sermon series. So weird, it's revolutionary. So weird, it's revolutionary. So different, so out of step with this world. We're marching to a beat of a different drummer. And when we do that, we have the Holy Spirit power to change the world. For people to see the grace of God through us and through our lives. And so we're going to take a few weeks and look at this, and, and I, it's my hope, and I suspect it will be, a very practical series of sermons. We're going to address topics that we all deal with day in and day out in our lives, and we're going to talk about them and talk about how, as Christians, we're called to do things a little bit differently than the world is telling us to do. So, for instance, we're going to look at our time and how we prioritize our lives and, and, and what we're putting into our lives um, and, and, and fig, look at how that's different than the world suggests that it should be. Or we're going to look at generosity. What do we do with our money? How is that called? How are we called to be different in the midst of that? And yes, even uh, in two weeks, get excited, we're going to talk about sex right here in church on Sunday morning. How are we called to be different even with regards to that? So weird, it's revolutionary. But before we can do any of that, before any of that's going to make sense, we've got to understand where we're coming from. What is our foundation, to use the words of our reading in Peter, or who is our cornerstone? And we're going to look at this reading from 1 Peter, and he was, he was speaking to a people that were embedded in a very pagan culture, a very pagan culture, worshiping 
the Greek gods, worshiping the emperor. I mean, this, this is a pagan culture they were embedded in. And Peter is calling them to be weird. The first thing we see in our reading, then, in 1 Peter chapter 2. By the way, if you've got a Bible, maybe you can open it up. 1 Peter chapter 2. You might have it on your, your smartphone or your tablet, wherever it's on. Uh, pull it out um, and follow along with me. And we see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, that the people he's writing to and us as followers of Christ are called to be a revolutionary people. We are a revolutionary people. And he uses two images to drive this point home. The first one is that of um, stones, living stones being made um, to be a building that glorifies God. And the second image he uses is this call to be an, a holy people. And we're going to look at that one as well. That comes straight from the Old Testament. But the first one, um, this call to be living stones. Let's read verses, I don't know, 12, no, 4 to, um, four to 8. As you come to him, as we come to God, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So we have this image of living stones, that somehow God is doing something with each and every one of us. He's putting us together as living stones to be what? A spiritual house, a holy place, a holy people, okay? And so God is taking each one of us as living stones, and he's bringing us together so that we might glorify God. That's the point. That's what he's doing in our lives, the lives of Christians, Now, none of this would be possible without the cornerstone, or other translations call it the capstone. Now, these are two very different stones, but it's interesting to understand the nuances of each. So, in some translations, like the ESV that I just read, Jesus is called the cornerstone. Now, if you know know anything about building, um, or even if you don't, I'll tell you, the cornerstone was the first stone laid, okay? It was carefully selected. It had to have straight edges. It had to be true. It had to be square. It's the first stone you put down. And from that one stone, the rest of the house or the rest of the temple, the rest of the um, building is built based on the angles and the trueness and the rightness of this one stone. Now, if this stone is off even just a little bit, the whole building is going to be off. It's not going to stand. It's going to be crooked. It's going to be leaning. It's not going to work. The cornerstone is the essential stone. The other image we have is a capstone. You might um, remember this from physics class, if you think way back. Um, An arch is a unique structure in that it, it, it supports its own weight by, like, leaning in on itself, okay? And the last stone you put in, the stone you put in there right there in the middle at the top, that is the capstone, Without that stone, the whole thing collapses. But with that one, one stone in there, that arch stands. And it's glorious and it's beautiful. It's an elegant 
design, the capstone. And what we have Peter saying here is that Jesus has become the cornerstone, that Jesus is the capstone, that without him, who we are, our bringing together as a spiritual house, our calling as a holy people, without Jesus as the center of all that, we will simply fall apart. We can't stand without him. We can't be true without him. We, we don't exist without Jesus Christ. There is that cornerstone, is that capstone. Now here is the amazing thing in all of this. If you're a builder, you're going to select the best possible stone, right? You're going to find the best one you can find, the most true one, the, the, the straightest one, the strongest one. That's your capstone. And yet we see here in Peter, he's quoting from the Old Testament. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone that, that Jesus Christ himself has been rejected by this world, crucified, nailed on a cross. That God has used the one bleeding and dying in the most disgraceful death imaginable, that that is God's cornerstone. That is his capstone. The very foundation of our faith, the one who holds us all together, is the one who is crucified on a cross. Rejected by this world, affirmed by God, raised from the dead on the third day, and seated at the right hand of God in power and honor and glory. That is the one, friends, that calls us together. That calls us to be a spiritual house. That calls us to be a revolutionary people. The second image, then, is an Old Testament image. And if we read on to verse 9, it says this. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God, uh, Peter here is taking these words directly out of Exodus, where God meets his people, his chosen nation of Israel that he's just delivered from slavery through the um, waters of the Red Sea into um, the Sinai Peninsula, they come upon him at Mount Sinai, and God says through Moses, he says, you are my chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God said that to Israel, and they embrace that. They're like, yes, we are God's people. We're called to be a holy people. And it really took them about 24 hours to mess that one up. They built a golden calf. They started worshiping it instead of God. And, and it was all downhill from there. The nation of Israel could not be what God had called them to be. They could not be a holy people. They could not be um, the, the, the great and glorious nation that God wanted them to be. God set them apart so they could be a light to the world. And they could not live up to it. And what we see here in 1 Peter is that God now has called us to be that people. Called us to be the nation of Israel. Because Israel was, was fulfilled finally once and, all through, once and for all through Jesus Christ. He was the true Israel. The only one who could be a holy nation. The only one who could be um, a royal priesthood. The only one who followed God's will perfectly. 
And through Jesus Christ, we are, we are brought into his family. We are living stones brought into to the one cornerstone, the one capstone. And because of that, we, friends, are called to be set apart, to be a little different, to be a holy people. So, we're revolutionary people. The second thing is that we have received a revolutionary grace. Revolutionary grace. Israel, um, tried, but they kept falling short. They kept worshiping other gods. They kept ignoring um, the poor. They were, they were incredibly unjust. They were incredibly legalistic. And, and they, couldn't, they couldn't live up to the calling God had given them. And if they couldn't do it, how then are we to be able to do it? And it's because we've received this revolutionary grace. Let's read verses, um, the end of verse 10. The end of verse 9 and then verse 10. We are a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God has chosen us as his people to deliver us from darkness, to deliver us um, from unholiness, to deliver us. We were, once, we were scattered. We weren't a people. We had nothing to do with each other. We were not connected. God, God took these scattered, unholy, unrighteous people. He gave them grace, and now he's made us into his people. He's brought us into light from darkness. He's given us mercy and not the justice we deserve. That's a revolutionary grace. It's a grace that says, I love you even though you're a sinner. I love you even though you have rejected me. I love you even though you can't get your life together. And I forgive you. That's the revolutionary grace that God offers us, that he would die for us while we were yet sinners. That he would give his life for people who would crucify him. That he would take the punishment that we deserve, the, the just and righteous punishment of God for disobeying him, for rejecting him. We, that God would take that punishment on his shoulders through his son Jesus Christ so that we might have grace. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record th that I say this over and over again. You can't earn that. You'll hear it from me, you'll hear it from Mike, you'll hear it from John, all of us. That there's nothing you can do to earn that grace. That's why it's revolutionary. There's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. And that's how we can be a holy people. A revolutionary people is through the grace of God. The problem is the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like grace. The world doesn't like to bestow things freely on people. And we've got to figure out a way to live out this grace we've received by God in this world, okay? Because they don't like that. The world's going to tell you you've got to be better, you've got to work harder, you've got to be stronger, and only if you do those things will you be successful. The world tells you that you've got to get your 18-month-old into piano lessons so they can grow up and go to a certain middle school, and so they can get in this middle school so they'll do good in high school, and so when they're in high school, they'll get into a good college so they can get a job and make a lot of money and have kids so they can put those kids in piano lessons to do the same thing again. That's the message of this world. 
that you've got to earn it, that you've got to be better. The message of God's grace is you can't earn it. And I love you anyway. It's a revolutionary grace. And finally, we're called to take this revolutionary grace and have a revolutionary presence in this world. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. These are a fabulous two verses. They're really, they're really quite amazing. Um, the problem is when we read this and we read um, that first, the first part of that in verse 11, um, I urge you to abstain from the passions of flesh. Of the flesh, you start thinking, oh, there he goes again. Those Christians, they're telling me I can't have any fun. I've got to abstain from the passions of the flesh. How, that's, not, that's boring. Um, and so Eugene Peterson has, a, has a, um, a paraphrased version of the Bible called The Message. Many of you are familiar with it. Um, and he does a fabulous job translating these verses. He says this. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. And listen to this. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. And so Peter is telling us here, he said, don't give yourselves over to the world. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Don't buy into this me, 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 instant gratification is all about me message that the world is giving us. And instead realize that it's not about us at all. It's about Jesus. It's about the one who died for us and gave us new life. And so when we live our lives, we're different because we, we go out there and we proclaim Christ crucified instead of proclaiming ourselves. We're citizens of a different kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're, we're only, you know, we're not at home here. We shouldn't get too comfortable in this world. We don't make yourselves cozy. We're just a little different, a little weird. But it has a purpose. And so you see there at the end of verse 12, so that when they speak against you at evil, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. The purpose of our weirdness, the purpose of our difference, the purpose of us being set apart from this world is so that when people look at us, they will see Jesus Christ. That we will bear witness to him, not only through our words, but in our actions. In the way we interact with each other, in the way that we interact with this world. We're called to, be, we're called to have a revolutionary presence in this world so that our, the gospel is proclaimed. And so as we embark on this series, um, I simply invite you to ask yourself this question. It, am I a revolutionary? And I, just be careful there because I don't necessarily mean um, radical in the way it is popular these days. I don't mean that you have to sell everything you have and go be a, a missionary in Africa. By all means, if you're called to that, um, and some of you are, then, 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 then you should do it. But what I mean is, are you rev- revolutionary in the way you live your life day in and day out? Do you, 
speak a message to this world of revolutionary grace? Ask yourself that question. We're going to hit on these topics and see what it, what it looks like. And as we go through these, keep that in the back of your mind. It, it, what does my life look like in light of these things? When people look at my life, do they see the gospel? Do they see the grace of God? And some of you haven't heard this message of grace before. You think, or you, you, you came in thinking Christians um, were, were moralistic or all about earning their salvation. And if you didn't behave that way, behave the right way, you're not a good Christian. And I hope you're hearing that that's not the message of the gospel. That God loves you in a way that's so revolutionary that there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And so I invite you to join us, too, on these, this series, that, that you might find out um, what the Christian life looks like, how we're called to be present in this world, and that through that you may glorify God. Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to be revolutionary, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would have the, the power to do so. And that when people look at us, they would see your love and your mercy. And that they would glorify you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.